Hey, what's going on? It's John, and it's time for the Jmart cast for Monday, <laughs> October 11th, 2021. What's going on? How are you? Happy Thanksgiving, friends and family. Hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoyed your turkey if you've already had it. If not, enjoy it when it when you do. I'm recording this on a Saturday, so I haven't had mine yet, but she's ready. She's thawed. The stuffing's ready. It's ready to get stuffed. So uh, tomorrow's going to be the big day where we actually uh, sit down with family and have some uh, turkey. So looking forward to that. Hopefully you all have great experiences doing that, seeing family and uh, just, uh, yeah, catching up and having a, having nice uh, memories this year for the holidays. Like I said, I'm recording this on a Saturday, so I haven't had a chance to get out today yet because it's just been raining all day long, so I'm just sitting at home feeling a little stir-crazy. So I thought I'd just uh, record this and get it out of the way since I won't have a chance tomorrow, and I want to have it out by Monday morning. So yeah, just uh, might be sounding a little off just because of how like uh, cabin feverish I'm feeling, but uh, hopefully... Uh, the rain stops and I can go out for a couple minutes and get some fresh air. What's good with you guys? Did you have a good week? My week was pretty solid. Uh, still sticking with the jujitsu. Went twice this week. Let's see. We practiced the clamp guard this week and some back escapes. I'm going to try to do some uh, description of what that is because I think it'll help me understand and remember exactly what I learned by describing it so this is probably going to sound not very good just because i don't even have all the words and terminology to properly describe what it is that you do when you're training jujitsu but you know it'll be an interesting stab at it and if it sounds awful just skip forward my apologies but yeah so yeah the clamp guard what is the clamp guard so a guard is when you're defending right against an opponent who's attacking so you usually start off in the closed guard and the closed guard is say you're on your back and the opponent's on top and you've got your legs wrapped around your opponent's waist and that's the closed guard. Now with the clamp guard, you take that a step further. You start by kind of like you have one hand on the opponent's uh, shoulder and the other hands on the opponent's elbow on the other side and you kind of pull the person in with the hand on the collar, bringing them closer, and then the hand on the elbow, you kind of sweep that towards your chest and bring them in closer, like I said. And then by bringing that elbow closer to you and more center to your kind of like towards your sternum, it allows you to use one of your legs that is wrapped around the waist of the person to bring it up and over the shoulder. So then you basically have the one leg wrapped around the shoulder, the other one's still around the waist. You bring it up higher. It's no longer like closer to the waist. It's more just under the armpit, I guess. So one leg is over the shoulder, the other leg's under the armpit, and they're kind of clasped together around the back of the opponent. And that, and, and then with your knees, you're kind of squeezing them together, clamping the person. That's why it's called clamp guard. Don't know if this makes any sense, like me describing it and being able to provide a visual image, but hopefully so. And then from there, you can uh, do a couple of different attacks. We learned like a couple of uh, three submissions from the position. Once you have your clamp guard around the person, you can uh, 
do a couple of different arm bars, a traditional arm bar, uh, something that's called like a reverse arm bar. The, diver- the difference between them is the traditional arm bar, you have like the opponent's arm, you're grabbing it with your with your hands, and then the elbow's kind of like against your hips. So you're using your hips as kind of like the fulcrum against which to pull the arm against and then if you like you know open the arm all the open the elbow all the way and then push past you know the point of it opening all the way then the person will submit and so you're using your hip as the object to press against that's the traditional way and then the other kind of reverse one that we learned was you 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 use your hands it's it's so hard to describe you kind of like you trap the arm by uh trapping the hand actually of your opponent between your head and your shoulder and you kind of squeeze it into place by like putting your head towards your shoulder and squeezing the arm into place and then with your free hands you can apply the pressure right by where the elbow is in the opposite direction that the elbow bends of course and then uh, if you have a good enough leverage then you will submit the person and they will tap there's one more where you like force some external rotation into the shoulder. I don't know if I can fully describe that one, but <laughs> I think I kind of sucked at doing it for these two anyway. But yeah, that was the clamp guard. We also, like, like I said, we learned some back escapes. So that's when your opponent has um, attacked you and been successful at uh, positioning themselves around your back. And they're kind of ready to choke you out from the back. So you need some ways of defending. It's a useful thing because as a beginner uh, practicing against uh, people who've been doing this for a while, you do get your back taken quite a lot. So having some sort of uh, strategy on how to escape from that position is really useful. So I was learning those back escapes. And the key is just to fight for your life, grab the limbs, and um, try to sweep the legs from around you. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can describe it any better than that, but yeah, still really love it. But oh my God, does jujitsu ever like make your body sore? Like, and sore in like all these weird places that you're not used to feeling soreness. Like I've been, had, I've had a lot of uh, tight muscles um, right on my ribs, like under the armpits. So weird. Like uh, I can just like feel it right now. If I just put my finger right out of my ribs near to underneath my arm like by the armpit i oh my god is so much tenderness there (laughs) if someone knew that like they could use that against me and like make me (laughs) submit immediately uh yeah it's been doing a lot of stretching to uh help counter that and kind of loosen up my body especially the low back man the low back really takes a beating doing jujitsu so i've been doing a lot of like cat cows and spine movements and spine articulations to uh, just restore the body back to feeling normal. It's so funny. Like, uh, when I think about doing jujitsu, I think of it like doing as doing a sport and as something that is going to end up in me, like overusing my body in a way that could lead to injury if I don't do something about it. So I, that's why I'm doing all these stretches and all this like extra additional training on top of it is because basically I'm trying to mitigate all the overuse injuries that I might get from doing jujitsu by, um, yeah, like I said, stretching, strengthening. And that's just not the mindset that people, most people have when they do something like this, something like jujitsu or any sport really, because 
most people think like, oh, this is my workout. Like going to jujitsu is my way of staying active, is my way of like, quote unquote, working out and being healthy. So uh, I don't need to do anything in addition to that. But in reality, it's like a lot of times you're like pushing your body to the limit and oftentimes past your limit doing these activities because they're just a lot of fun and you just get caught up in it, right? You don't think like, oh, I, often people don't think I should protect myself as they're doing it. They might think about it ahead of time or afterwards, but in the meantime, as you're rolling around on the mat, it's just out of your your main focus. And I think this applies, like I said, across the board to many things, especially the thing that comes to mind is running. People think like, oh, I need to do some running to get back in shape, to get healthy, lose weight, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, I think what you need to do is you need to get healthy and lose weight so that you can run because, you know, I don't want to stop people from running to do to get healthy, to lose weight. But, you know, you have to be very smart about it is and ask yourself, is your body ready for the impact you're going to provide it through running, through the amount of running that you need to do to actually lose weight? Oftentimes not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's why, you know, most of the people I know who do sport for fun as their way of staying active, at some point they injure themselves and they get hurt and then they stop doing that activity unless they're doing something in addition to that sport as a way of mitigating the stress factors of it, like I said, like which is what I'm doing. You know, this has happened, it's a story told many times over. This is why many people who are runners get shin splints or um, uh, plant, like plantar fasciitis, whatever it is. You know, it's just, uh, you think, oh, I just need to do this one activity and through that I'm going to, whatever, lose weight, uh, get better endurance, um, whatever you're looking for. And then you don't think about what are the, some of the downsides of repetitively doing that thing over and over again. And you don't think about what are the activities you could do to mitigate it, right? And so if you're listening to this, think about if there are any other additional activities you could be doing to what is your main way of staying active in order to mitigate some of the overuse or risky injuries that might happen due to the main activity. Just something to think about. In terms of uh, stretching for like jujitsu, I found like a sweet little stretching routine from a YouTube channel that I really like. Uh, this channel is called Tom Merrick. I think I've talked about it before. Check it out. Tom Merrick. He's got a good like um grappling or bjj stretching routine it's like a half hour long that i've been following which is kind of nice the splits training is coming along as well uh still trying to do that at least once a week trying to go towards like the near the end range of what my legs are capable of for the front splits there's definitely some progress there but still a long way to go now my handstand training now that's almost come to a complete halt Man, I think feel like with handstands, I finally like I have the experience of what it's like to be someone who's like overweight and trying to lose weight. That's kind of the I feel like similar to my handstand journey where I like I want to learn a handstand and I can't I just like I keep trying and and like being excited about it for a short period of time and like making some progress and then kind of stalling after a little while and just kind of forgetting about it and then coming back and forth with it. Just it's this never ending seesaw of like getting excited about it and then, uh, and then losing that excitement. And, um, 
you know, just uh, not staying consistent with it. I, I totally understand now what someone must feel like. Well, at least I think I, I understand what it must feel like to be in this like, I don't know, a back and forth mindset of wanting to achieve something, but not being able to fully commit for a long enough period of time, at least consistent enough period of time to be able to achieve this. I've been wanting to do this handstand for for years now, since like before my kid was born and he's like two and a half now. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm making progress. I'm, I am getting better. I'm, I can, I think, uh, hold it for 10 seconds now if I like come off the wall, but I can't kick up to it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just, uh, have to find that thing that motivates me. And I just, uh, not sure what it is yet. I have to find a way to convince myself that it's worth the effort to at least put in a little bit of time towards it, like, you know, one to five minutes a day, maybe even, maybe that's what it takes. I just got to make smaller and smaller goals that are achievable for myself. And maybe um, that'll be the thing that gets me over the hump. Yeah, there you go. I'm a lazy bastard, just like everyone else. I also have goals that I have struggled to to uh, complete or achieve just like anyone else. So if anyone has some sort of like idealistic image of me, that's 100% not real. I'm human just like anyone else. I also have things that I struggle to force myself to do. And uh, handstanding on a consistent basis is one of those things, even though I really want to learn how to do it. I just can't find that magical thing to make me do it all the time. At least the good thing is every time I try to go back and retest myself, I haven't had a huge setback in terms of like losing a lot of the progress I've made. I kind of tend to keep most of the gains I make. So that that's at least nice. I don't have to restart anything. I just kind of have to pick it up from the point that I left everything off from. So that's a little bit different, I guess, from somebody who's struggling with weight because oftentimes that's a lot more up and down, up and down. Me, I'm just kind of on this extremely slow (laughs) path that's progressing you know day by day month by month year by year and you know I I see it I see I see it in my future I I know it's possible I have the strength in my hands and shoulders to do it I have finally I think the mobility in my shoulders and upper back to be able to uh, you know extend the body and be able to be upright from my hands it's just mind over matter right now matter is winning but <laughs> soon enough mind will take over i i keep telling myself that <laughs> anyway i've babbled enough about that let's do a quick bitcoin update let's see where are we at current price is just under 55k sitting at 54995 and uh, just about a week ago, last time I did the podcast, it was uh, sitting at uh, 48000 So we've had another nice bump up in the price. And uh, I expect to see a lot more of that till about December. All right. So if you don't know much about Bitcoin, here is my prediction as to what's going to happen for the next little while in terms of, in terms of the price appreciation This is just my prediction based on what I've been reading, watching, listening to. And so Bitcoin has these bull markets once every four years. And uh, every time it's ended in this kind of blow off top mania where the price appreciates like crazy amounts 
and then it's unsustainable and then there's like a huge drawdown where like it loses 85% of its value and then uh after an ex- like about a year or so then it's just starts back up <laughs> and then every time there's like a new all-time high and new blow off top and this has happened uh three times before and this is like the fourth cycle and so of course past performance is no indication of future performance but it's always good to consult and uh create some sort of model and then of course if things don't follow the model then you know the model's broken you don't have to follow it anymore but it you know if you don't have some sort of model that you're following it's kind of like when they say if you if you fail to plan then you plan to fail right so uh yeah according to me my theory is that the price is going to appreciate significantly going into december possibly january but most likely at some point it's going to reach a an unsustainable level where it's going to come back crashing down like a blow off top like i already said possibly losing as much as 70 to 80% of the value it might have at the peak but i expect the whatever the peak is the drawdown is going to be at a level that's still probably even higher than where we're at now so you know take that with a grain of salt i obviously don't have a <laughs> crystal ball i'm just talking out of my ass and i'm just making predictions that you know could or could not come true and there's no uh repercussion if i'm wrong so i could be totally wrong in saying all these things and uh so be careful taking advice you know people say people often say this is not financial advice and i guess it's not financial advice although do buy bitcoin maybe you know what i'm going to go against the grain this is financial advice go buy bitcoin <laughs> if you know me and you trust me take it as financial advice if you don't know me then uh you'd be taking financial advice from a stranger so that's on you <laughs> obviously do your own research and try to understand what bitcoin is and make up your mind if it's worthwhile for you but if you just look at price appreciation <laughs> like Okay, so in the last week we've had a 14% price appreciation. All right, let's look at the one month. In the month, 17%. Then let's do one year. Comes to just under 400, 396% price appreciation. Now let's do 5 years. 8,882% price appreciation. Okay, now let's do all time all time it's got 78 million nearly 500,000% price appreciation that's just nuts right like <laughs> yes it started off as pennies or under a penny less than a penny to like now it's you know nearly 55k it was 65k earlier this year around april but uh you know there's a big 50% drawdown but that's just bitcoin that's what it does there's you know big drawdowns and then it just comes back and passes that previous all-time high and then goes way higher so you know like i said research it decide for yourself if this is something for you what else did i want to say about bitcoin oh yeah the lightning the which is the layer 2 solution on top of bitcoin which helps expand the network in a way where it's faster transactions, more 
volume of transactions. And so I've been running what's called a lightning node to help support that network. And I've been opening up these channels between all the people, other people who are also running these lightning nodes. And it's very interesting. It's very early days and I'm learning like a lot. And I'm not even a techie person, but it's like very interesting. And I'm like definitely compelled by it and interested in kind of almost like doing all these um, experiments, you know, trying to figure out what to do and how to, when with this like lightning network, you you can set up your node to route payments between peers in the network, between nodes in the network. And then through routing these payments, you can charge little fees and earn earn some fees basically doing that. So that's pretty interesting, trying to learn about that. Very confusing. Uh, <laughs> this is like, yeah, this is kind of not quite as uh, basic as like doing like DOS like early on, with like when computers were first around, but it's not that far off from like being as basic as DOS. So it's not for the average person. But the hope is with time, there's going to be a lot more development and improvement in the user interface. And it's going to be just like simpler and simpler to operate it over time. But, you know, I can't wait till then. And I'm super interested and would like to learn more about it. And there's no better way of learning than by doing. So I'm just doing this thing. I've got my node running. I've connected to a few channels. And maybe I'll do a quick explanation of what the channels actually are. So... In the Bitcoin main layer, you have basically all the transactions between all the people on the network are being recorded on the blockchain. But that's not very scalable because there could be a lot more transactions that need to happen than what can fit into the blockchain. So what you could do instead is create these channels between people on the Lightning Network where now you can send and receive payments back and forth between the two people on that channel numerous times without uh, sending that transaction onto the Bitcoin blockchain. So it's a little bit kind of like having a bar tab. If you think about like ordering a drink at a bar, you could make a payment for each drink you receive, right? And that would be a transaction each t each time. Or you could just say to the bartender, just give me a bar tab and I'll just do one transaction at the very end for all the drinks I buy throughout the night. So it's basically a scaling solution so that you don't have to put every single transaction that happens with Bitcoin onto the main blockchain. But also it uh, speeds up the transaction because on the main blockchain, every time a transaction happens, it takes approximately 10 minutes to verify or so. Whereas on the lightning layer, the settlement is instant because it doesn't have to go on the blockchain. It's just settled within that channel between the two parties. Now, the other cool aspect of it is that when you have a channel between two parties, it's not that you can only uh, make payments between those two parties. If there's a third party who's only connected to one of the original two who have a channel between them, then the person who doesn't have a channel to that third party can make a payment to them through the original channel because the person who they're connected to through that channel also has a connection to that third party so they can route payments. And that's what routing payments means. So yeah, I don't know if any of what I just said made any sense to anybody, but it kind of made sense to me. I'm trying to say it out loud to practice describing it so that uh, I get better at communicating all this information and also understand it better for myself as well. 
If you have any questions, please reach out, ask. I am happy to answer and point you to all the resources that I've been using to learn about all this stuff. All right, that's enough about Bitcoin. Let's talk a little bit about health. So um, my wife is currently pregnant, and she's going to be delivering in a couple months or so. And of course, when you're pregnant, you go to the doctor often. They do lots of uh, measurements and checks to make sure everything's going well. And one of the recent things that was looked at was her iron and hemoglobin levels. So she's got low iron and low hemoglobin. It's not a huge concern because, you know, if you're pregnant, you're going to use up some of that iron and hemoglobin towards making the new baby. (laughs) And this is a a common thing that happens in pregnant women. But, uh, you know, we still want to up the number here to help the process along. And so, so we've got some iron tablet supplements and we're also talking about like what to eat to help iron stores in the body. And so her suggestion was like, oh, I know spinach has lots of iron. Let's, let's do leafy greens. Let's do spinach. And I'm just like, ah, this is like classic vegetarian propaganda. Like, you know, get some leafy greens in you to get your iron. Meanwhile, the best form of dietary iron is heme iron, which comes from animal products. Right. There are two forms of iron. There's the heme and the non-heme. Heme iron is derived from hemoglobin, so that's an animal food that has hemoglobin, right? Like so, just like humans have hemoglobin, right? Animals have hemoglobin, such as like red meat, fish, poultry, and your body absorbs most of the iron from heme sources. Non-heme iron that comes from vegetables, you know, not only is it like lower amounts of iron in vegetables, you also just don't absorb it nearly as well as you do heme iron. So if you're trying to consume food high in iron, you want to stick to animal products, not vegetables. Just do a simple Google search for iron-rich food, and you will come across like, you know, beef and chicken liver, mussel, oysters. These are the things high in liver. Cooked beef, cooked sardines, things like that, cooked chicken, ham, veal, whatever. Once you've exhausted all that, then when you can move on to the non-heme iron sources, from vegetables such as uh, beans, tofu, chickpea, pumpkin seeds, spinach, broccoli, brown rice. Of course, you want to have a balanced diet where you're like having a little bit of everything. But, you know, if you're specifically trying to up your iron levels, then you know what to do. And it ain't spinach. So, yeah, let's see what else. Um, Oh, yeah, this week uh, my little boy got... A little cold. He's been going to daycare and he's at that age where, you know, mixing with kids, kids are getting sick and he's picking up all the colds. So he had a cold this week and of course he infected me with it. But I have a little anecdote regarding this. This is actually the second time he's gotten a, a minor cold in like two months. He got one last month as well in September. And so, and he infected me with it as well last month. And so every time I get a cold, the last two, three years, what I've been doing is I've been taking these zinc lozenges. And so I found about them, like I said, two, three years ago and testing them out. What I found is it really is helpful in reducing the number of days I have symptoms and I can clear the cold much quicker. As soon as I feel I have a cold, I pop those zinc lozenges and I go to town. And like I said, less than a week, usually like a few days in, my symptoms are gone. But last month when my boy got 
sick and, and infected me with his cold, I was like, you know what, let's run a small experiment here and let's see what happens if I don't take the zinc lozenges this time. And lo and behold, it took about a week for me to clear the cold that time around, uh, at least seven days. And so this time around, got my boy got sick again, infected me again, and I was like, all right, well, I've tested it out. When I don't take the zinc lozenge, it it takes over a week to you know clear it. Prior to that, it was taking me only a few days. Let me go back on the zinc lozenge and see what happens this time. So my boy was at daycare on Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, I woke up feeling sick, started popping the zinc lozenges. Thursday was feeling much better, and Friday, basically symptom-free. <laughs> so that's my little end of one anecdote there. I know people always need randomized controlled trials with like thousands of people to participate in the, in the study to show a real effect so you can believe things but you know I don't I don't go by that if you waited for research on everything you would like never actually be at the cutting cutting edge of anything and there's actually in fact lots of research on zinc lozenges like I've shown so many people especially doctors on the the clinical trials of of zinc lozenges and the effects but doctors don't never bother to actually read this stuff. They're just, they've never been taught that zinc lozenges could be effective against the common cold, right? The common cold has no cure. That's what we're told. So, you know, there's no point in trying to like look at some research that should shows that potentially there's some benefit to, you know, taking zinc, but big pharma's not backing it. So why would doctors be behind it, right? To all my doctor friends who listen to this, I'm sorry for bashing the medical profession, but like I said, the number of times I've tried to share this information with doctors and how often they've just completely ignored it and neglected it is just pretty disappointing. If you're interested to check out for yourself, uh, here's what you can like do a little search and find out. Uh, look up Chris Master John Zinc Lozenges, and that should bring you to a page with like resources to check the studies to see for yourself whether this is legit or not. Not only are there clinical studies that show that people resolve their symptoms of a cold quicker, but there's also like uh, mechanistic evidence that shows that like, well, first of all, everyone knows that zinc is good for the immune system. It helps promote the immune system. But more importantly, zinc has been shown to deactivate RNA polymerase, which is the main enzyme that like uh, cold viruses use to replicate. So yeah, there's clinical evidence, there's mechanistic evidence. I've tried it for myself. It seems to work. But uh, when I try to share this information with medical doctors, they're just like, oh, really? That sounds interesting. Send me the link. I'll read that. And they never read it. They never look into it. They never tried for themselves. It's just like, we never learned that in medical school. There's no big pharma support behind it. So forget it. And of course, this is a big generalization on medical doctors. And not every doctor is like that. It's just my um, personal experience. I'm sure there's lots of good doctors out there that know about zinc lozenges, use it for themselves, recommend other people do it. But very few of those doctors are medical doctors. They're, they're mostly PhD doctors. <laughs> All right, I'm done bashing doctors. Sorry, guys. A bunch of my friends are doctors, and some of them even listen to this. So uh, if you're hearing this, I love you, buddy. This is mostly directed at uh, family medicine doctors who do shit all for their patients. <laughs> and with that, I've uh, crossed over the 30-minute mark, so I'll probably end it here. So 
Actually, before I go, did anyone check out the new Dave Chappelle comedy special? It's called The Closer. Uh, it came out on Netflix. Oh my God, it's so good. Just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have enough good things to say about that uh, comedy special. Dave Chappelle is just so talented. Like, if I was like one-tenth of one percent as good as he is at communicating so eloquently while making important points, while being funny, while just like uh, having the attention of a huge room, like I, that would be a dream come true. It's part of the, one of the reasons why I, I do this is to be able to understand what are some of the shortcomings of my communication style uh, and improve those things, obviously. But just like looking at that guy and how good he is at just being funny and talking, just it's inspiring and uh, just uh, in a way, it also makes me feel bad at how, how bad I am at, at it too. But it, it's more inspiring than, than, than discouraging. And I encourage everybody to check that special out and see for yourself, I guess. All right. Thanks, fam, for listening in on another episode of the J-Mart cast. If you haven't done so, check out my uh, State of Health podcast, the new episode about Wim Hof and the the research that's done on him. I think it's pretty dope. It's one of my best ones yet, so check that out. Anyways, if you've got any questions, concerns, reach out to me. Email me at newsletter at jmartfit.com or reach out on social media at jmartfit on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Peace, guys. Jmart out.